0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I'm excited about this new sermon series, Making Wise Choices. And I want to draw your attention in just a moment to a lot of passages of Scripture, to some really incredible thoughts But my my focus over the next few weeks in this summer series is to bring our church to a place where we can make wiser decisions most of the time. Amen? Is that okay? In other words, we are going to make mistakes. Am I right about that? Sometimes we're going to make an unwise choice. Sometimes we're, we're going to fall. But at the end of the day, we want to make wiser decisions more of the time. We might even say most of the time. So our goal is to get into God's word and to find out what his word has to say about wisdom. Now, what's beautiful about the book of Proverbs is that uh, it, it, it flows differently than most of the books. It's kind of choppy, if you will. Uh, a lot of verses kind of stand on their own. It's like sermon sentences. There's a few passages where you've got verse after verse that deals with one particular issue. But many times in the book of Proverbs, it's, you can find uh, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 10, 15, all the way through diff- different verses dealing with a truth uh, that is spoken of often in the book of Proverbs. And so we will do the next few weeks off of what I consider to be the most important subjects ...with multiplicity of verses mentioned about individual things that God says we need wisdom in this matter. And so today I want to draw your attention uh, to almost the, the opposite of wisdom. I want to address this word foolish because it is no small thing to be foolish. In other words, you're either wise or you are foolish. And Jesus went out of his way to be sure we understood that it is mo- no small thing to be foolish. In fact... The Word of God says in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 22 that I say to you, Jesus says, everyone who is angry with his brother is going to be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother is going to be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, how serious it is to be a fool, that person is liable of hellfire. And so God puts an emphasis here on you and I understanding biblically thinking. Biblically thinking, if our life is so filled with foolishness, we could actually be properly titled a fool. We want to avoid that. That would be the equivalent of the weakest, worst, and most wicked person of all. A foolish person is the number one thing you don't want to be, according to the Bible. Number one thing. I don't want to be a foolish person. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks... Talking about how we can implement God's wisdom into our life. And so today we're going to start by focusing on exactly what a fool looks like. We're going to start with understanding what does it look like to be a fool? What are the features of foolishness? Let's look at our own lives. This morning you're going to hear me refer to myself a lot. I've walked this journey. I'm still walking this journey of wisdom and avoiding foolishness. And I want to share some personal things with you that I hope will be a a help. Let's not look at the life of anyone else, even in our own family. Let's look at our own selves. So first, let's refer to 1 Kings chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but I want to tell you a little bit of story that happened in 1 Kings 3, how this book of Proverbs came about. Are you ready for this? So there was this third king in Israel by the name of Solomon. Solomon, according to the best I I could research, was about 19 or 20 years old in 1 Kings chapter 3. 19 or 20 I think we probably have quite a few 19 or 20 year olds in our church Let's just say he was a very young man And he's taking over the 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 kingship of israel and and god knows that's a big responsibility So god goes to solomon and says hey bro This is big you got a lot on you and I I I, want to I want to I want to help you So what do you wish for just tell me anything you want and i'll give it to you because I know this is big I know you've got a lot of pressure. So what do you want? Think about all the things Solomon could have said. What would you have said? If God came to you today and said, what's the one thing? You could have anything. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I would not speak for you, but I know I would be tempted, like probably many would be tempted to say some sort of amount of money. Maybe we would wish for longer life or whatever. But what Solomon did was, according to Scripture, he chooses wisdom and understanding, and he even chooses this word discernment. Of all the things that he could have chosen, he chose those things. A heart of wisdom. So, guess what? God not only made him the wisest person in all the world, but he also made him rich. (laughs) He gave him long life. I mean, there's a lot of things that God did because he made that choice. I've got some good news. If somebody is that wise, if somebody's the wisest man in all the world, I'd like to set up an appointment with that man. If at all possible, I'm sure it's going to be an expensive meeting. But I'd like to talk with him for an hour or two and just pick his brain. Wouldn't you? I mean, here's a guy that knows a lot. Here's a guy that God says the wisest man in all the world. Here's the good news. We got the book of Proverbs. God spoke to Solomon and Solomon wrote all this stuff down. You and I have a book in the Bible that contains the Proverbs, the sayings, if you will, of Solomon, but these sayings came from God himself. Almost everything in the book of Proverbs is something that God gave to Solomon to write down. At this point of the service, I want to I lift up a little bit just for a moment, parents. And we're going to have a baby dedication. We're going to take about five minutes right in the middle of this sermon. And as opposed to having this little baby dedication off to the side, fit it in somewhere, I said, you know what? Let's fit it in the sermon. Because so much of Proverbs is dealing with Solomon, God telling Solomon, hey, write this down for parents. Write this down for parents. Write this down for parents. This is wisdom that parents need to raise their kids. And so I'd like to invite to the platform Chris and Haley Connor and their new son, Rowan Lockwood Connor, and the Connor family. Would you join them? Yes, give them a big hand, shall we? This is awesome. Hi, Rowan. How are you? Rowan, Lott. come on, guys. Come on. All the family. Join us. Yeah. We want to... Hey, look, if the Connors come to the platform, we could very well start a church right here on the platform. Isn't this great? This is that illustration you gave last week. Yeah, man. We're already on the on the road. And we got Paula's mom here. Wow. I like her because she's Japanese. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I married one of you. I did. Yes. <laughs> The Japanese population just tripled in our church. All right. I love it. Well, <clears throat> Chris and Haley, I'm so proud of you guys. I really am. Um, I know that you are coming today to give thanks for Ryan, to, for, uh, to Rowan. And we're going to dedicate Rowan to the Lord today, that he would know the Lord, that he would serve the Lord, that he would be saved at the very earliest age, that he knows, understands the, the, the message of the gospel. But we're also going to pray that God gives you wisdom. In many ways, a baby dedication is a parent dedication. And and really, with this sermon series, I can't think of a better way to start this sermon series. Thank you for asking me to do this on this Sunday. Now, I know we had a lot going on. We got church membership. We had a baptism. We had the children's uh, video. But I don't think there's many things more important than parents coming to the decision of saying, we want in front of the church to say, Rowan belongs to God. God has lent us our child. We want to raise him in the wisdom of God. That's amazing. And so I want to read you a couple of verses. I'm going to stick in Proverbs. I usually go all over the place. But listen to this. Proverbs chapter 22 in uh, in verse number 6. Listen to this one. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so training begins right now. Even now. In fact, I know not everybody quotes this verse anymore but did you know the bible still says that if you train a child correctly you'll use what's called in scripture a rod of correction and it will drive foolishness away from him i recommend every parent to do that in the right way it can be taken out of context but did you know that god's word has a lot to say about training and disciplining our children when they're young because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child i don't like that word but children are foolish. They, they, they start their lives with foolishness, bound up in their hearts. And this is what's going to help drive that away from him. Here's another one for you. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, my son... Here, here it is, Chris. My son. Chris, imagine saying this to Rowan. Do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Can you imagine saying that to your son? Do not for, forget my teaching. If all of us could say that about our children... If we could raise our children in such a way that we would not want them to forget the lives that we lived in front of them, how amazing would that be? Awesome. And then finally, I want to read you Proverbs 17, 6. Proverbs 17, 6 says, all right, here's for the Connors. You ready? Ready, grandparents? Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. How awesome is that? And so the grandparents have a part in this. And they they do have a part, thankfully, in this. And that's just amazing. And so I want to ask some questions, if I could, just for a moment, to Chris and Haley. Chris and Haley, do you recognize that Rowan is a gift from God? And you both thank God and glorify God for the gift of your son. I believe you do. And do you accept the joys and the responsibilities of parenting, promising to give proper love and care to Rowan throughout his life? And I believe you do. And finally, with the help God provides... Do you promise and do you commit to teach Rowan the fullness of God's word and to demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength? Will you promise to do your best to do that? I believe you will. I believe you will. And to the congregation, will you offer your ongoing love, support, prayers, and encouragement to Chris and Haley in their role as Rowan's parents? Will you do that, church? Amen. Amen. And church, will you also be faithful in praying for Rowan? And as much as you're able, help to teach him if you're his Sunday school teacher or small group teacher or children's pastor or student pastor or Christian school teacher or public school teacher, will you set a godly example for him that he might one day come to trust in Christ as his Lord and Savior? Will you help to do that, church? Amen. 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 That's awesome. Well, at this time, I want to have a prayer of dedication and present this plaque that says, We, Chris and Haley Connor, the parents of Rowan Lockwood Connor." Dedicate our baby boy to the Lord Jesus Christ on June seventh, two thousand nineteen, and pledge to raise him in a Christian home. And as I present this plaque to Chris and to Haley, I want to give that to you. And I'll see if Rowan will come. Man, he's staring at me, isn't he? Whoa! Whoa! Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Oh, man, look at that. Woo. I already know Chris. Chris is the dad that's going to throw him up in the air 10 feet and catch him right before you. I know that. That's, that's why I wasn't worried. Some dads are like tackling me right there. But you're like, you know, I'll ah, throw him up there. Yeah. <laughs> I already know that. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Lord, as I hold Rowan in my hands, I think about the incredible responsibility. Lord, the, my five children, I've, I've held them in my arms at this Age in their lives and done this very same thing. And all those plaques hang in our walls or in our home and remind us of that decision. Father, I pray that that would be the case for Chris and Haley and all of us standing on the platform and our church family in this audience. May we, Lord, come together and pledge to do our best to come alongside Chris and Haley to raise Rowan in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. May this sermon series be the foundation of their parenting. And God, I pray. That Rowan would get saved at an early age, surrender his life to you and follow you all the days of his life. May he say, as we just sang, yes, I will. Yes, I will. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Would you join me in giving them one big round of applause? You need a picture? All right. Ready, guys? Here. I'll let you. All right. Jesus, you ready? Let me put this over here. All right. This is cool, isn't it? You guys okay with this? It's my sermon time. I just got to preach short One, one two, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Give him one big round of applause. Awesome. Love you guys. Yes. Yes, I will. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Craig. Well, isn't that awesome? Wasn't that fun? Did you enjoy that? That's my sermon illustration for the day, but it was a live one, and it's a real one. And guess what, church? This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to give some advice. That's all. This advice is from God's Word, and we pray that everyone here will take heart and listen. So as I continue in this message on the five features of foolishness from this loose collection of sayings and proverbs from Solomon, number one, let's begin with this first feature of foolishness. Let's call it this. Careless feet. Careless feet. This person is a fool. You say, Preacher, give me more. Let me me read you a scripture from Proverbs 14 in verse 16. It says this Pay attention. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil. So here is a wise man. He's cautious. Could we just take from our feet for a moment? Because that's what we walk with. That is what leads us to places that we go, uh, situations that we're in. So we have careless feet if we're not cautious. So here is a wise man. Uh, he is cautious. He is determining, I don't think I should go there. Or, you know what, I, I, I've heard this is the way I should go. What does scripture say? What does my dad say? What do my grandparents say? What does my pastor say? What does God's word say? What kind of advice have I been given? He's cautious. He thinks things through. He understands that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You see, a fool is the person who never fears until he falls. Never fears until he falls. The fool is the person who just walks along in life with no direction. He never learns. The fool never says, he never says, whoa, you know what? That could be dangerous. The fool never says that. He never responds to the tragedy happening around him. He doesn't consider those things. Now, let's understand something. And let's be very clear about this. We all fall at times. Amen? Including me. In fact, I'm ultimately preaching the majority of my messages out of a context of... Times that I have fallen. Mistakes that I have made. You see, it is not a sin necessarily to fall, or it's not foolish to fall, you might say. But it is foolish to fall the same way over and over and over and over again. This is the person with careless feet. This is the fool who never learns we mentioned a moment ago in our baby dedication, Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15. It says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But what's so sad is it seems that oftentimes we see that as someone becomes an adult, they still have that foolishness. We don't judge a child harshly because of that. That's why we don't judge a child. How many times have you said, well, they're just a child. We've got to teach them, we've got to train them, we've got to be patient with them. They're just a child. We don't judge a child harshly because there are some things that they just don't understand. But part of becoming an adult is growing up and putting away childish things and learning from the mistakes of your past. That's what Scripture teaches. Put away childish things. When I I became a man, when I became an adult, do you learn, church, from the mistakes, from your mistakes? Do you learn from those or do you have careless feet you know there's some things that i've learned in life one of the great lessons i've learned in life and can i tell you i'm still learning this although i've learned a lot about this and i've come a long way i've learned that if i work too many hours and if i neglect my family that it leads to breakdown and heartache i've learned that i've learned that it doesn't matter how much money I throw at the problem. doesn't matter how much more money I make so that when my family is breaking down, I say things like, we went on a good vacation. I bought you a car. If I didn't work so much, we wouldn't have this and this and this and this. At the end of the day, that's not what they want. And that's not what they need. They need time. And by the way, I'll say more about this next week. Work is not just what you do at work. At your job, work is also at home. I don't go home and just say, you know what, I'm glad I'm done with work. No, my work continues. It's just another job. It's a great job. It's called raising a family. It's called being a husband and and, and being a wife. And it includes taking time and investing it in my family. I've learned that if you run your credit cards up to the limit, it produces financial pressure and hassle. That is way bigger than the pain of doing without the thing that you, that you thought you had to have. Anybody else learned that? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Thank you. A couple of you. Good. We got three or four. Okay, five. Good. I've learned it. I'm just, I know these are things I've learned and a few people might join me, but I've learned that. The thrill of buying the thing is so momentary compared to the ongoing pain of the monthly hassle of, of, of getting that payment in the mail. You buy the thing and then, you know, you forget about it. But for two years, you make the payment with interest. And I've learned, you know what? That that, that probably wasn't the wisest decision. I've learned that if you don't get into God's word yourself. I've learned that if I don't spend time in prayer myself. That if I don't take care of my soul. You know what I've learned? Things start to unravel in my life really fast. Like, really fast. Like, I could be going along and just take a couple days, two days. Can I just say two or three days? That's it. And I skip reading my Bible. I don't take time to pray. You know, I I skip a couple of Sundays to go to the lake, whatever. And I haven't done that in about 31 years. But anyway, (laughs) it's the job, you know. (laughs) Can you imagine coming to church? Where's Preacher? Oh, he's at the lake today, you know. But I've learned that it doesn't take but just a couple of times of doing those things that my life quickly falls apart. I've got to have my time in the Word of God and, and, and some time in prayer. And even if it's limited and even if it's sometimes shorter than others, I mean, that will, it's nice on the holidays sometimes, you know, you've got a little bit more time. And other times during the week you're, you're more hectic or you you know, you make a decision to get a little bit more sleep. And I get all that. But can I tell you that 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 putting God's word aside completely and putting prayer off of your list of things that are important in your life, your life will fall apart quickly. I've learned that. I don't want to have careless feet and have to learn it again and again and again. The second feature of foolishness is this. It's quick fist. Quick fist. You see, fools are quick to fight, in fact, fools love to fight. Let me give you a scripture. Proverbs eighteen six. It says, "A fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating." You ever met anybody like that? They just they just argue until it leads to a fight. It doesn't even have to be a physical fight. It could just be you know they 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 keep going and keep going and keep going until the voices get so high and things get chaotic. They they actually enjoy that that's what they are trying to do this is a fool the fool is the person who has a way of relating socially that makes you want to hit him have you had anybody like that that you work with or hopefully not go to church with but maybe somebody in your small group (laughs) they just have a way of socially communicating in such a way that it's always controversial. It's always bringing up something to create chaos in the environment you live in. A fool's lip, they walk into a fight. Their mouth invites a beating. They're quick to fight. They love to fight. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 3 says, it's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's an honor for a man to avoid fighting. Fighting. It's an honor for a man to look for better ways to communicate and and, and to give a soft answer so that it will turn away wrath. But every fool will be quarreling. Every fool. They like to fight. They're not looking for the soft answer. They're not looking to, 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 to work things out, to stop what they're doing, to sit down, to talk it out, to communicate in a way that would please God. Do you have a quickness to quarrel and fight? Do you? What does it take to set you off? Think about it. How quickly are you set off? I think there's three levels to this just to give an illustration. You know, the first level is really simple. It's like just when you're ignored. You, know, you ever been ignored? I mean, honestly, I've, I've had church members get, get mad at me because they thought I ignored them. You know, preacher didn't say hi to me. I I walked right past him. You know what? If that's what this church... Rah, 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 you know? And I'm not thinking about anybody in here because you'd already be gone, but... Um, <laughs> you know, is that all it takes just to be ignored to set you off? Is that is that the level you're at? Just ignore me and I am all over it. Or, or what about this one? When you're insulted. I see this happen a lot. You know, just an insult. Something that is said... And you're insulted. Something that's critical. And the next thing you know, you're three hours on Facebook. And it's just back and forth. And we're bragging about, Just see how many comments I got? 873. I've been doing this for nine hours. It's great. We're just all fighting and yelling and screaming. And then the little Christian comes on. "Uh, You know, we're setting a bad example. You know, you see those little tidbits come in there. I'm like, what are you doing reading it? You know, what am I doing reading it? Right. You know how many people have said to me, you know, why don't you check your Facebook? You're never... I know, I hardly, I don't do it much because of that. I've learned to avoid those types of environments and I'm just really careful because I, I just don't want to get in the middle of something. So when you're insulted, what about when you're inflicted? This is another level. This is a little harder. This is when you're... Maybe physical pain, emotional pain, financial pain. You're done wrong. Now, to illustrate this one, I want, I want to go straight to Jesus because I feel as if this one's a very sensitive one. But let, let's just go to Christ for a moment. I'm going to ask a question to the majority of our church, if not everyone here. Are we here because we're followers of Jesus, yes or no? Yes. yes. Well, we're here. We're here because we're followers of Jesus. The songs that we sang a moment ago had to do with, for instance, the song we sang first, Living Gospel. We've we've been justified. we're, uh, We're being sanctified. We're going to be glorified. All that has to do with being like Jesus. That's what it is. We became a Christian and we spend the rest of our lives becoming like Christ until we finally see him face to face and become just like him. It's all about following Jesus, being more like Jesus, to be honest. I would think that most of you are here today, including me, because I just want to draw closer to Christ, and I want to get a stronger relationship with Christ, and so I'm here. Preacher, give me some advice from God's Word. What does Jesus have to say about this or that? If that be true, I want to highlight for some, something to you about the Lord Jesus. The number one characteristic of Jesus Christ. It's on the screen. The number one characteristic of Jesus Christ between the ordeal of Good Friday and the resurrection of Sunday morning recorded in Scripture, the number one characteristic of Jesus when he was insulted and inflicted was his silence. He was quiet, he answered not a word, he wasn't quick fisted. And this is who we follow. Silence when condemned is the example we're given from Jesus as followers of Christ to follow his example. We're not interested in getting in wars on social media. We're not interested in fighting for our rights or for what we. Now I'm not talking about for the truth because we need to be vocal about the truth and silent in regard to personal injury. But I'm afraid we are more silent about the truth and vocal in our defense of our personal feelings. It needs to be just the opposite. Let's stand for the truth. Let's defend the word of God in the right spirit. Let's love, uh, let's speak the truth in love, but let's be careful not to be this oversensitive people who are constantly angry and quick-fisted when we are ignored, insulted, or inflicted. To be like Jesus, it's silent when condemned. That's our example. Number three. The third feature of foolishness is loose lips. This one hits closer to home to me and to all of us. Because, first of all, I want everyone to know that I make a living with my lips. <laughs> I talk a lot. And the Bible has something to say about that. Things that are said. Now, let's clarify something, shall we, real quick? Foolishness is not funniness. Feel better? Because you like to have a good time, don't you? How many of you had a good time on July 4th? Anybody have a good time on July 4th? Yes, good. I hope everybody did. It was awesome. I went to a church member's house. They had a fireworks display. We had fun. We had hot dogs and bratwurst. And I think there was even some steak and skewers. with oh, It was amazing. I had fun. I had 40 of us there. It was a great blast. I had a lot of fun. We joked around. We cut up. We had a great time. Joking around and having fun is not contrary to Christianity Sometimes I think we can take things so seriously that you know We come into church and feel as if we just you know, we've got to be serious. We can't have a good time We can't laugh. We can't have fun. Jesus Christ loved to laugh And the Bible exhorts us to be a people who want to have fun, who enjoy having fun. When we talk about loose lips, we're not talking about people who are witty or people who are funny or who make us laugh. When we're talking about loose lips, we're not talking about humor. When we talk about loose lips in Scripture, just a moment, we are talking about words that cause pain or injury. Things that are said that should have never been said. Proverbs 14, three, the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. Your version may speak of the word pride there in that, in that translation, meaning this, that the mouth of a fool, oftentimes just because of his pride, he, he has to say something, but the lips of the wise preserves his word. He shares, he's, he's, he saves that thought. He waits for maybe a better time or a better place or maybe a, a better temperament. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Oh, yeah. How many times have I had someone say to me, preacher, that probably wasn't the best thing to say or the best time to say it. How many times in 27 years of preaching has this foot been placed in this mouth? Many. And it's a lot of that. Uh, just a lot of words. And sometimes when you talk too much, guess what? You say things you shouldn't say. We've got to be careful that we, we guard our tongues because whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Sometimes it's not how much you say. It's how you say it. This is wisdom. Because I am the master of my unspoken words. And I'm a slave to those that should have remained unsaid. Well, I'm the master of my unspoken words. Those that I refrained from saying things that I thought but did not allow to come out because of wisdom, because of restraint, because of, 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 of taking time. A, a, a soft answer turns away wrath. Be what? Be be quick to hear. Be slow to what? Speak. Those that should have remained unsaid are the words that I'm a slave to. Proverbs 17, verse 28 says, Even a fool, even the idiot, when he's silent, we consider him wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. The feature of foolishness that we're talking about here, even when the fool gets it right here, we gotta give him credit. He's more intelligent than oftentimes many of us, who say things so quickly and so angrily and without love. Quick fist. Number four, the feature of foolishness, fourthly, is roaming eyes. Roaming eyes. I'm going to give you a verse here and I want you to really meditate on it. It's Proverbs 17, 24. It says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom. So here is someone who is discerning. Now, now let's identify real quickly here. Roaming eyes could also, it could be either gender, but I feel like that men, we oftentimes need this a little bit more. If, if I can say it like that humbly and, and you'll receive that in the right spirit. I know women can struggle with this as well. But here's a man, if I could use me as an example, as a husband, as a man, as a leader, as a pastor. Here's a man who, if he's discerning, he sets his face toward wisdom. You know what I see there? I see focus. I see a man who is focused on his family. He's focused on his wife. He's not the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. Ooh, check that out. Ooh, check that, check that. Ooh, come on now, check that out. He's all over the place. But the wise man, he sets his face. He sets his face to what's right in front of him. And what's right in front of him should be his wife, his kids, his home, his Savior, his Bible. Amen. This is discernment. But the eyes of a fool, they're on the ends of the earth. What are they looking at? They're all over the place. What are they looking at? Well, here are some examples of what they might be looking at. Materialistic eyes. Roaming eyes are materialistic eyes. Here's the one that says, I'd be happier if I were driving that car, but instead i got to drive this stupid car. But I wish I could drive that car. I wonder if my credit's good enough to get that car. I wonder if I can go in debt for that car. No, don't know if I could pay for it, but you know, hey, they don't take it back for 90 days. I want that car. Materialism. Here's the person that goes to the store and says, I'll take that and that. I'll take that and one of those. Give me one of those. I'll take another one of those. Give me one of those. Materialistic. What else is he looking at? Well, he's got distracted eyes. He says things like, I need a new hobby. I need a new career. I'm tired of doing what I'm doing. This is, when this person comes up, usually this is what's being said as he's walking towards them. Wonder what he's into now. Guarantee it won't be what he was doing before. It'll be something new. It's always something new. He's so distracted. Fad to fad, fad to fad, this to that. Always got a new hobby that requires another $500 to spend to get everything he needs to do that hobby. He's distracted by so many things. Materialistic eyes, distracted eyes, and then what about lustful eyes? Our eyes can be drawn to sin so quickly. Can't they, gentlemen? And I won't ask anyone to raise their hand. I'll just raise mine. It has nothing to do with me being a pastor. As you well know from what you read nearly every week in the paper or on the news. Roaming eyes are an accident waiting to happen. And I would say this to every man in this room. In order to avoid fornication, avoid adultery, avoid pornography, avoid sexual immorality, you got to get your, set, your face set straight. Look right in front of you. Don't have roaming eyes. This is a feature of foolishness in Scripture. And it's an accident waiting to happen. The fifth feature of foolishness, which I believe may be the most important one of all, is plugged ears. You say, really, preacher, do you really think that was the most important? Well, here's why I think it might be the most important one. Because if your ears are open and you're listening to advice, then oftentimes that will take care of everything else. And so I'm going to spend a little extra time on this as we close the message. Plugged ears. This is someone who is not really listening and again, oftentimes we might even come to a service like this and not listen. You know, many times we're there, but we're not there. Are you with me? There meaning we're not there listening, taking in. One of the reasons why I love to give notes is because it gives us a little something to concentrate on, to write down, maybe to write other thoughts on, something we can look back later. I love small groups as, as groups go deeper into what was said. But the fool does not hear. He's not listening. In fact, Proverbs 12 and verse 15 puts it like this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The truth is, you can't tell him anything. He's always right. All the advice you give him is going to be, yeah, but, yeah, but, you don't understand, yeah, but. He 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 doesn't listen even if you tell him. A wise man, though, listens to advice. He listens. He accepts it. He receives it. He contemplates it. We need to be willing to listen to the input of others. You say, well, somebody's always got something to say. That's a good thing. There is safety in the multitude of of godly counselors. And the primary way, if I could confess this to you today, church, the primary way that God has spoken to me has been through other people. I hope that doesn't come as a shock to you or, wow, preacher, I I usually just hear from God. Well, I do too. I hear from God through other people. I do. That's the primary way that I've learned. Maybe that's just my DNA. Maybe you would agree. Maybe you wouldn't agree. Maybe it's your second way. But i got to be honest. I, I have learned the majority of what I've learned about living for God as God has used people in my life. Whether they be parents or pastors or youth pastors or coaches or elders or deacons or you. To speak to me. Most often, when I've heard the voice of God, it has been through someone who cared for me enough, who loved me enough to sit me down and speak life. To speak life. This is last week's message on discipleship. This is what Jesus did. He sat them down, he talked to them, he spent time with them, he gave them advice. The disciples became who they were because of the time that Jesus invested speaking life to them, giving them His input. Are you a teachable person? You know, this week we were, we were having a recruiting conversation on the basketball side of things at Champion. Coach Epps is here today. And, and Coach Epps, uh, I, he had a young man on campus and I asked him, I said, so, what do you think about this? this what do you think? Because we're recruiting. I mean, recruit a lot. Sometimes you recruit 200 people to get 10 players, you know, for a lot of different reasons, you know, different different scenarios that play into it. This particular reason was that this young man had some struggles and, and, and had a few things going on in his life, and it, was, it wasn't the, the perfect scenario. So I said, do you, do you think he'll fit in? he said, I really do. He's a little rough around the edges, but I think he would fit in. And I said, Really? I said, Why do you think that? Here's what he said, quote unquote. He said, Pastor, he's teachable. And as long as a player's teachable, he'll make it. You see, we need to quit looking at someone who's rough around the edges and and mark them off. We need to quit looking at someone based on the outward appearance and say, There's no hope for them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are they teachable? What's so exciting about what God is doing in the lives of people in our church is we see measurable growth and character development when someone is teachable. And that's what's exciting. Are you a teachable person? Proverbs 17 verse 10 says it like this. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. (laughs) Meditate on that for just a minute. A truth goes deeper into a man who receives a rebuke. I mean, if if he'll receive that rebuke, it goes deep. He'll become a man of understanding. He will become someone who gains wisdom and becomes successful. But you can hit somebody over the head a hundred times. And if they're a fool, they'll never change. They're not listening. So I know I'm teachable when. Can I give you my my five top reasons why I think I know I'm teachable? I know that I'm teachable when I get a lot of input from others. When I get a lot of input, in other words, not just one person, I want to hear from, you know, because sometimes you, you know where to go to hear what you uh, want to hear. But when I go to a lot of people, when I get a lot of input, I remember when we were changing some things at our church. And we were making, we were making some transitions in, in different things, uh, trying to become a more relevant church. Not really, honestly, trying to just add more instruments or, or different order of service or different times and different ways to meet Really doing it for that reason. We were just trying to be strategic so that we could reach more people for Christ, use more spiritual gifts and talents that people had. We were honestly trying to become a more biblical church, but in that it required a lot of conversation. Can I tell you, six, seven, eight years ago when we began that journey, and it took five years to finally kind of get to a place where we felt as if this is this is kind of a direction where God would have us to go? There were hundreds of of coffee shop conversations. I drank so much coffee. I had so many conversations and, and most of it was, Preacher, I just, I, 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 I get this, but I don't get this. And I just don't think that's what, and we're going too fast. We're going. Some would say this, we're going too fast. Some would say, we're going too slow. Both were right. Both were right. For some, we were going too fast. For some, we were going too slow. I needed both of them. I needed that input. You know what it helped me to do? Stay balanced. Oh, we did move slow, but we moved faster than some. We just tried to move at a pace where we could continue to to really minister to the church in a way that would keep people happy. We had a few folks leave the church, but can I give you some good news? Nobody left mad. That was my goal. I see anybody storming out, slamming doors, screaming, yelling, church splits. I didn't want our kids to have to see the ugly church split that happens. And anybody, Anybody ever been on one of those services? I have. Never forget that when I was in, in California, it was so ugly and devastating. I was just thankful we didn't have any kids yet. It was the most ugliest. I've, I've never. I mean, it was rated R in a church building because nobody had a chance to give input. That that breeds frustration. It doesn't mean that your input's always going to be taken. It doesn't mean you have to be right. But what it means is we need to get input. Amen. That is. When you're teachable. Number two, I know I'm teachable when I have, and I mentioned this one, measurable growth and character development. Meaning this: that sometimes I my 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 information is producing results. In other words, I found that the more I went to church and went to small group, and the more that I put myself in a position to listen, I grew. And I would have people say, man, man, Eric, you're, you're, your preaching is getting better and man, you're really growing, Eric. And it, w- it really was just I was I was listening. I was getting input. I was reading books. I was learning from other pastors. I was sitting down with my mentors and being discipled and learning. Amen. And I saw measurable growth. You know what I've noticed? I love to see this in my boys. As my boys have grown older, I know they're listening. I know they're teachable when I see growth in their lives. When it's not like, wait a minute, we're still where we were 10 years ago. I, I, I see they're making progress. And that, as a father, I, I'm, I'm proud of that. When I, when I know they're making a little progress, I know they're listening. I know that I'm teachable when I don't have to answer my critic with a defense. I learned this one. Critics are coming. They're coming. They're going to criticize. They're going to have something to say. It's going to come somehow, some way through a text, through social media. Have you ever seen one where they don't mention your name, but you know it's you? Whatever. I mean, it's coming. (laughs) Did you hear what so-and-so said? There's probably not a week of my life that goes by that I don't have a critic. But I don't answer the critic. In fact, it's been said, when you answer your critic, answer him by accomplishing your cause. Just continue following Christ. Do what God's called you to do. I would have quit a long time ago if criticism would have been, if answering my critics would have been my mantra, my purpose in life. I just determined, I, I can't answer my critic with a defense. Can I tell you one reason? Because sometimes they're right. A lot of times they're right. A the critic's never are all wrong. Amen. I mean, sometimes it may be that they're mostly wrong, but I've always found there's a little truth in the critic, and sometimes I've got to find that truth and let that change me and make me a better person as opposed to always looking to defend myself so I can learn from my critics. I know I'm teachable when I don't have to get even. Are you finished? Good, let me tell you something. I'm not teachable when I do that. I don't have to get even. This is not about, you know, one-upping. I'm not supposed to use this pulpit as a way to get back at you. That's, That's evil. This pulpit is a gift from God, and it's to be where the truth is to be proclaimed, not where a preacher is to stand and flush out all the counseling that week and do everything but mention people's names and fight back. And I used to go to churches where I would hear these words from the preacher. Hey, if you don't like it, the door swings both ways. Find you another church. While well, we're staring right at you. Like, okay. <laughs> That's not the purpose of preaching. You see, I'm here today to give you the truth of God's word. Not, not, not to get even with anybody. I, I'm here to share. Truth of the matter is, I'm just one sinner preaching to other sinners how we can all sin a little bit less. Amen. Number five, I know I'm teachable when I'm hearing different things, different input. I want to hear from different people, different sides. And I don't want, you know, one of the reasons why I knew I needed to change was here's what I found myself saying, church. I'm just telling you my my story. Okay? Everybody's got a story. My story was this, you know, Nope, I can't listen to that. There's only one version of the Bible. Nope, I can't listen to that. There's only one kind of Baptist. Nope, I can't listen to that. There's only one kind of music. Nope, I can't listen to that. There's only one kind of hymnal. And it was always, I can't listen because this is the only one. This is the only way. This is the only instrument on planet Earth. And she's been lonely for a while. (laughs) We're trying to get her to go through the wall. We... We got this one over here. No, I like those. They're just big and heavy. And these are nice and lighter and, you know, anyway, I'm having fun. I told you we can laugh and be Christians, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Here's my, here's my point. I, I, I secretly started, I, I, I went to a conference and listened to somebody that was different. And I'm like, they're nice and they love Jesus. But they can't be. There's something wrong. I, I just can't see it. I know there's got to be. And then I'd go over here and, 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 and listen to others. And they were praising God and worshiping God. And I'm like, I just, I'm not sure this. And, and, and then finally, I started having small conversations with people in this room. And I'd say, I just got to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel as if I'm listening and learning some things. I'm just kind of questioning a few things. And God was working in my heart as I began to listen to different things. I wasn't listening to Satan worshipers or cult leaders. I was listening to other believers who just had some different thoughts and different ideas. And, and when they would ask me why I believed what I believed, I would just say, uh, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. That was my answer. It was good for... Some, huh, huh, huh. It was good for... And, and I'm not against that song. It's all good. I mean, you won't hear it in Jordan's worship set anytime soon. But <laughs> <clears throat> it's not a bad song. Maybe for certain occasions. Oh, you know. But the, here's my point: is I didn't know what to say because I only had one input, only had one person, one idea, one. And when I opened myself up to listen to different things, I found out. Now, here's what I found out. You ready for this? I'll close. That's interesting, but I, I that's not for me. Is that okay? Is it okay for something not? Sure it is. Does it mean they're wrong? No, just not for me. Oh, that's, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, that's neat. Well, that's interesting. That's cool. I, I, I think, you know, I think I'll pass on that, but I, I'm, I'm glad I heard that. And then other things I would say, man, that that's, that's incredible. I like that. Here's my point. My point is when you are teachable, you're open to different things. You're willing to listen and to learn. You see, the answer to foolishness is wisdom, 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 (laughs) wisdom, wisdom is not stuff I know. Wisdom is what I do. You see, we can know a bunch of stuff and never put it into practice. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is what we do with what we've heard. Wisdom, number one, is available. It's available. You say, where is it? Well, first of all... (laughs) It's in the book of Proverbs. Can I just say it like this? It's in the book. The book called the Bible. Proverbs 2, 6 puts it like this. The Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives it. And he'll give it in truckloads if you want it. In fact, in James it says, The Lord will give wisdom when you ask him. And he won't won't spare it. He'll give it as much as you want. As much as you want to read. As much as you want to pray. As much as you want to ask. He says, man... I've got all you need It's available Wisdom is applicable it's, it's applicable In other words, it's life, it's everyday living It's like building a house In fact, Proverbs 24, 13 Likens it to a house that is built By wisdom, a house is built And by understanding, it's established In other words, you don't build a house in a day You, you build a house over time You buy the land, you survey the land you, you get the loan, you build a foundation It could take four months, six months, eight months It could take longer than that A house is something you build over time. And our life is like a house. God likens our lives as houses that are built over time. We never stop learning. I'm 54. I'm still learning. I'm learning different things. You know, when I was younger, I didn't have to learn as much about retirement and about health. I watch what some of the kids are eating when they're in their 20s. I'm like, dude, I wish I could eat like that again. I would croak in about a week. These guys are eating things that, you know, mounds of stuff and different foods and greasy hamburgers. I like a greasy hamburger, just not every day, you know. And so I I learn things, and I'm like, you know, if if I'm going to stay healthy, I've got to figure things out a little bit. I can splurge every—and I'm not being—I'm not preaching a message. I'm just—I'm learning things. I'm learning that pastoring at 54 is different than pastoring at 24, 34. It's different. I need to depend on my young guys more. I need to learn to start passing the mantle on because I don't have as much ahead of me as I had behind me. So I don't want to be selfish and just say, you know, I'm going to die in the pulpit. I'd rather die in bed, actually. But anyway, I... (laughs) That'd be really bad, you know, poor guy, you know. I don't want to die in the pulpit in this sense. I don't want to hang on to this so long because of pride and it's got to be my way and this is my church. This is God's church. And I'm 54 and my days are not as many ahead of me. And I'd like to finish my race probably doing a little bit less pastoring, a little bit more mentoring. That's probably still 10, 15 years down the road. But the point I'm making is I need wisdom to make that decision. I didn't need it when I was 20, but I do need it when... So it never stops. You learn for the rest of your life. It's all about wisdom. And then wisdom is delightful. It's delightful. Proverbs 8, chapter 11, uh, chapter 8, verse 11 says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare to her. Dude, this stuff is good. Wisdom... Hey, you know that, that thing you wanted at the store last week? Wisdom's better than that. Oh, it can't be, because it would been so cool. Was, you should have seen this beautiful ruby necklace or this... You know, pearl necklace or this diamond ring or this fancy car, and God says, pop. It's like trash compared to wisdom. You get wisdom, it doesn't compare it to anything you could desire. That's wisdom. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. It's not going to be as flashy, it's not going to have a lot of videos, but I do like Ken's graphic, don't you? I love that graphic. I told Ken, that's one of the best you've ever done. Making wise choices. How do I know which way to go? How do I know what to do? Well, we're going to help you with that over the next few weeks. Let's bow our heads, shall we?